welcome to episode 9 of People Are the Answer. I truly believe that people are the only answer to the world's many problems. I'm Jeffrey M. Zucker, a serial entrepreneur, here to learn how innovators are creating outsized, transformational social impact. Today's episode features my friend Mo Brown. To put it simply, Mo is a winner in life despite the odds being stacked against him. He's used the hardships he's experienced as fuel to do incredible work. He has been a D1 college football player, U.S. congressional candidate, process consultant, and more. I don't want to offend any of my previous guests, but this might be the best episode yet. Mo and I discuss why listening is so important, his football career as a South Carolina Gamecock, working for the South Carolina Department of Commerce, running for Congress, his new consulting firm, and much more. Here is Mo Brown on People Are the Answer. Mo, thanks so much for joining me on People Are the Answer. Absolutely. Um, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to having a great conversation. Likewise, uh, it's always good to chat, and I'm excited to get to do that with other people listening in, that we'll get to learn some more about you. And I think just to provide some background for the people listening, you know, you and I met when I was at a fundraising event uh, years ago when I was lobbying for medical cannabis in South Carolina, which unfortunately we're not done with that yet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just kind of hit it off and have stayed in touch over the years. Yeah, exactly, man. And uh, a cool thing about South Carolina, our little small state um, circle of influence, you can, you can get it around it pretty easily. Um, just showing up to the right event. And it was uh, great that we was able to meet each other and, you know, have like-minded and like minds in the sense that we want to push the state forward in, in a productive way. And, you know, I think we circled around that or gravitated towards that, I should say, and, um, you know, stayed in contact ever since. So it's been good. Yeah, agreed. So love it if you could just start off by, you know, telling the listeners kind of who you are, what your role is and, you know, where you are. Yeah. So, um, Name is actually Marikas Brown, which my mom would get on to me if I didn't say that. Um, and uh, I go by Mo Brown for the most part. And uh, I'm from a little small town in, in the Anderson County called Belton, South Carolina. Um, grew up there for the most part, spent time in the upstate, moving around. My mom, she had us young. And so it was, it was a really, a, you know, we was raised by the village. Um, mentality uh, like as as saying she had me young she had me at 16 my oldest brother at 14 two more by the age of 20 so um you know spend time with my granny spend time with my aunt my uncle you know growing up you know, a number of years and um before I moved back in with my mom when I was a 12 or 13 for for good and you know finished out my time at Westside High School um, my current role um I am the managing consultant for my consultant firm called Process First Consulting. Um, and it's a business, general business consulting firm, you know, dealing with brand and culture enhancement, as well as strategic business development and uh, communications. And got a good team around me and we're trying to grow the company and provide great strategies and great value to, to our clients. Um, and, you know, what, what motivates me is uh, helping people helping as many people as I possibly can in the process of becoming the best person that I can be. And I, and I truly believe that is our greatest burden um, to 
understanding our gifts, but not only understand them, maximize them, um, and and do so with the understanding of that someone else is dependent on you to be able to give that to them as they're going through that same process. So, you know, with that understanding, it motivates me to wake up and continue to push the gifts out that I have um, to affect the world for the better. Awesome. It's really cool to hear some of those details and we can dig in some more to what you're up to with process first later. But you, know, you talked about growing up in Belton and your mom having you young. Can you dig a little bit more into how that made you who you are? Oh man, it was everything. And I mean, even beyond my mom, just the community, um, you know, where I grew up at Belt, South Carolina, you know, not to get into politics, but just to give folks an example. I mean, it's, it was the heart of Trump country. Um, it's you know, upstate, red, um, and I believe Bible Belt. But at the end of the day, whatever perception you may have of it, it's just really good, decent people um, that respect people that are good, decent people that goes about their lives being respectable, honorable, um, being, being a helping hand, being considerate, being empathetic, those, those terms um, was really fed into me as, as, a, as a child. Um, again, for everyone in my, in my community, for my teachers, coaches, um, especially my family who was uh, deep, deep into Christianity. Um, and that's where our base and foundation came from. And so, um, you know, that's one side of it. The other side of it is being the, the struggles of, of growing up in pretty much um, not a well-off state where every meal was, you know, you didn't know what it was. It could be anything from ramen noodles to hamburger helper. If you had hamburger helper, that was a great night. You were excited about that. Um, but we always had something to eat. You know, we wasn't in a position where lights getting cut off, but you know, where you're laying your head at could be, again, any one relative um, at a time. But love was always present. Um, present. Um, accountability was always present. Um, the desire that you was greater than what your situation or circumstance dictated was always present. And um, because of that, you know, we, we, we persevered as a family to, you know, do better than what was probably predicted. Yeah, it's, it's incredible to hear how your family came together to support you and your, your siblings. And I know it wasn't easy. And I know one thing that you said, and we'll talk about your political career in a little bit, but um, I recalled from the first video you released when you were running for Congress, you talked about being destined to fail, where you came from and overcoming that. Um, I thought that was really powerful. Uh, maybe you could elaborate a little. Yeah, I mean, you know, statistically, the last census had Belton, South Carolina as the poorest uh, town, city uh, in the state from a per capita standpoint of just wealth. Um, so those challenges, you know, coupled with having teenage parents, you know, my, my, my dad, he was a teenager as well when I was, when I was birthed. Um, and the, the lack of opportunity or um, not opportunity rich climate that I, I grew up in, um, you know, statistics would say that I was destined not to be successful in life. Um, but again, just my family and my community, like no, those statistics didn't matter to us. It was again, just going back to being a, dis a disciplined, decent person that show respect to your elders, 
Um, and expectations of you is just simply that expectation. And when that was understood by the community and your family and the people who knew your family, um, there was a commitment from all to, you know, adhere to that. And because I saw that, respected it myself, I was able to utilize what gifts I had and from an athleticism standpoint, but most importantly, from an academic standpoint, being challenged by my parents, as well as my, as my uh, aunt, uncle and granny to excel in that department. Um, and the combination of which just led to the success I've obtained to this point. So being destined to fail was, was what the statistics said, but you know, we all have choices to uh, maximize the hand that we dealt. And that was the road that I took. I, again, you know, I think it echoes how important having a really supportive, incredible family can be to changing the expected outcomes. And um, one topic I've covered a fair amount on some of these episodes is uh, criminal justice system and the reform that's needed. Um, I know that your family came in contact with the criminal justice system, and I know that you agree with me that it needs reform. Um, anything you want to say on that topic? Yeah, man, it's uh, very tough, right? Because everybody had their deep emotions about how they feel and, you know, um, how they they expect things to flow and what justice is. But at the purest form of it, justice is blind. And so when the litmus test is performed, it can't have prejudice towards it. Um, and it's and as simple as that. And it starts on the individual level. Um, each one of those cops, each person that's in a position of power, um, understanding exactly the power that they will. And it's not the matter to be, a, it's not a matter of being able to flex it. It's actually the, the, a matter of being able to keep it concealed unless necessary otherwise. Like, and so I think at the baseline, we just gotta, we gotta go in and talk about the culture of what it means to have justice in this country. Um, and the individual responsibility that we have to each other to make sure that justice is indeed blind. Um, and I think if we focus on that and get away from all of the other politics that comes along with it, um, we're gonna have a really good chance of getting it right because transparency, um, consistency becomes the point. Um, and then all those corrupt other intentions that come along with it become less and less and less to are non-existent for the most part. So that's how I see it. Um, you know, we got to get the communication correct on the ju criminal justice side because um, it's too much at stake. It's too many lost lives. Um, it's too many families affected. Um, the indirect cost is too much. Um, and so I, 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 I hope and I, and I really do believe that there's a group of leaders that's our age that's looking at all of these things that have been affected, um, you know, old enough to understand how it once was, young enough to understand how it is now, and still wise enough to be able to blend that into figuring out how we're taking all these um, technology and weapons that we have that could be for good that oftentimes is misused for bad, <laughs> you know, uh, and trying to make sense of it. And I think that's ultimately what we need in the criminal justice system. But I think we also got to look at society as a whole and take a very similar approach.
yeah, I agree that those perspectives needs to need to apply to society as a whole. And I think you put it really well. And it was kind of poetic in a way that we had sirens in the background. background <laughs> right. Noise. I right. want the listeners to know we didn't add those in. <laughs> we did not. We did not. That's crazy. That, that really is. Well, thanks so much for, for sharing that perspective. And um, hopefully we're on the path to improving things on that front and in our country and in the world. And, and, if I, and if I could add, because I think it's important, uh, you know, Senator Scott is leading that effort here out of South Carolina on, on a national level with him and Senator Booker trying to find compromise. And if I could say anything, I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. And I think the last I've seen of it, the, the talks was, you know, had, had come to a head. But it is so important for them to continue that conversation and finding where the rubber hits the road on that because that's the leadership that's needed in order to start putting trust back into that governmental system to where we can walk, work across the line to common sense uh, solutions that's gonna benefit the whole country. So I, I, I take my hand off to Senator Scott and the political world that Democrats aren't supposed to do that. I take my hat off to him for trying, but at the same time, the challenge is Let's figure it out. Let's 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 do it. Let's do it. Yeah, it's good to see that those conversations are happening. We live in such a divided world, and anybody in that position of power that that's willing to try to make issues more bipartisan and humane is uh, is certainly appreciated. Absolutely, absolutely. So you briefly mentioned how your athleticism came into play growing up. Um, you know, for those that don't know, you played D1 football for the University of South Carolina. Um, can you talk about how football was part of your life growing up? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, football was so important. I, I remember the first year I went out to try to play, um, I was seven. My brother was nine. Um, and I didn't get to play that year because we didn't have enough money to buy his pads and my pads. So I had to wait a year out. And so I played basketball. Basketball is my first love. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I literally, we sucked and I cried literally after every game, like boo-hoo cried. It was pretty <laughs> terrible. Um, but uh, the following year I got to play and got to choose jersey number 22. I was a big Cowboys fan and Coach King, who's the head coach for the eight and under football team. He was just a great man. Um, the basics of being able to coexist with other people for the objective of winning was those those first fundamentals was instilled by him. And the cool thing I learned from Coach King, and, I, and it's going to stay with me the rest of my whole life, was the respect that you had for your equipment. You always had your helmet up. You always had your shoulder pads over. We didn't sit on our butt. We always took a knee. Um, if we was taking a breath, um, the fundamentals of just carrying the rocks and the thoughtfulness of what you're supposed to do when you play the game um, really bled into the rest of my life. Those things um, learned at a, at a very early age and it reflected my, my approach to football very inaccurate. And I ended up finding myself in leadership positions on every team that I was in because of those fundamentals. And I'm like, if we're gonna play this game, we're gonna respect this game. If we respect this game, the game will give you back what you put into it. And so 
you know, football in itself reflects life in that you got people coming from all over and we're trying to win at life. Um, and everyone has a story, everyone's gonna pull different, but if we all pulling towards the same goal um, with the intent that my play is gonna help your play, we're gonna have a chance. So football itself has been one of the great teachers in, in, in my life and reflects who I am to a large degree because of the experience of playing it. Um, and being able to do it on the D1 level on a Steve Spurrier who was a master at his crowd. Um, and me and my friend, good, my good friend Freddie Brown was just talking about the lessons that he taught even on a subconscious level uh, and how that has prepared us to be successful men. You know, it, it, it goes really deep. And so I'm so appreciative of football. Um, and if anyone can play it, you know, I recommend it. Protect yourself, obviously, make the right decision for your children, but it's a great sport without question. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible to see kind of how it helped you on the path that you were trying to get on in life. And you were really fortunate to have that great coach. You know, I know not every kid that plays is fortunate to have somebody thoughtful in that position. Right, right. It, it, I mean, it made a world of a difference. Uh, and again, you know, as you grow older, you know, going through it, you didn't feel the same way. But, you know, thinking about, you know, the attention to detail, the accountability that was held, that you was held to. I mean, you know, if you had a route that was ran at 12 yards and you ran that route at 10 yards, it was a problem. Well, why didn't you run that route at 12 yards? Because there was a reason you run it at 12 yards, because you run it at 10 yards. It takes the timing of the play, which means that their hole is not there. And if the hole is not there, you're not going to be open. And it can go down to a, uh, the heel from there where problems could be interceptions. You have to tuck it, go to the next read because you didn't do your job by running it 12 yards. So it was very detailed. And coming from high school to college and playing in front of 80,000 with the millions that comes associated with it from a financial standpoint, not to mention the emotional responsibility that comes along with it. <laughs> you know, you drop a ball in front of 80,000 people, it ain't you just dropping the ball. It's, oh, they could have won the game. Weekends affected. The whole week is affected. Whole year is affected by one single play, one, one moment in time. So having a head coach like Steve Spurrier that could articulate and demand the respect for that reality in a way that made you a better football player. You didn't always feel going through it, but now looking back at it, you're so grateful for it. I'm sure that was an incredible experience. And I definitely don't want to make the, the whole episode about football, but I do have a couple more questions. Um, so you talked about the millions of dollars associated with college sports. Um, how do you feel about the new name and likeness opportunities for college athletes? Um, you know, I think it was past due. I, I think we are still trying to figure out what it means um, for college athletics. I mean, there's a beauty in the way college athletics set up that do create the camaraderie that reflects the college experience, that the brotherhood and the bonds that you grow literally take you for the rest of your life. Um, you know, you're going to raise families together. You're going to be godparents God and, you know, find your wives or, or, or your husbands or whatever that it may be. 
you know, as you go through that process for, for a lot of people. Um, so um, all that is, is, is important as you're going through the, 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 the college experience. And so when you start inserting money into it, you know, how that's going to affect that when someone's maybe making six figures, them showing up to practice, not showing up to practice, them, um, you know, being integrated in that same struggle that everyone is going through, you know, that could cause some issues that I think is going to have to be played out and take some of the parity away from college athletics that is important beyond just the financial gain. And so I do think, you know, over the course of the next couple of years, there's going to be a reality to the, af the actual financial gain for these student athletes. And I don't think it's going to be as great as intended. And so I think there's going to have to be some more structure around how these student athletes are actually getting compensated on a more long-term basis and, and, and figuring out that structure is going to be for our leaders to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are some really good points. It's a topic I'm sure we could talk about for a really long time, but overall, I think it's good that the students are starting to get some sort of compensation, but it's really going to be worked out with experience over time. And there's going to be a lot more tweaks to come. For sure, for sure. So being a D1 athlete, you know, at a school in the South, how was that? Do you feel that you were treated differently because you were an athlete for better or worse? You know, that's a good question. Um, definitely was treated differently, but I don't know if it's from the aspect that most people think about, like we got this good life. It's, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's a certain level of expectations that come along with it. I was just expressing earlier. Um, the reality of that deals with some of the mental issues. You know, I've got teammates that either done committed suicide or attempted suicide you know, at the fate of this game and the pressure that comes along with it, you know, coming from nothing, coming from literally, you know, the bottom of the barrel to having the opportunity to play in the SEC, which essentially tr translate to changing the plight of your family and community by playing here. Like, that's, that's a lot that comes with that. And so, yes, you are treated differently. And as long as you're producing, there's a treatment that comes along with that. But if you're not producing, um, the expectations that come with you too, especially being stars on a high school level, that's tough too. And so there's both sides of that, that one side get magnified and the other side is starting to get more attention around. Um, so it's definitely a different treatment. But at the end of the day, you know, that's what separates the good from the bad, um, or I shouldn't say the bad or, or the less fortunate. Um, is how can you handle that and how then you can pivot what was learned to successful career beyond the field. Um, and, you know, schools are doing a better job of, of, of coaching up and teaching these student athletes beyond the field to translate those skills learned on the field. But we still got a ways to go. We still got a ways to go. And I think that you have done a really good job translating those lessons from the field and to off the field. and. Um, Talk about what you did after college football, you know, whether you thought about the pros and where you took your work experience. Yeah, man, I mean, definitely I was, you know, trying to make the pros. Um, you know, I wasn't an All-American, but I wasn't a scrub either. You know, I put up respectful numbers, had some 
some pretty big games against, you know, really good teams and was, was able to perform. So at the bare minimum, the hope was at least to get into camp and show that I was able to do that. Um, but the reality of it was that I never got that opportunity to get a tryout, which is still a little bit beyond me, but it is what it is. And that's what the universe saw fit. Um, the other side of it being, you know, the, the reality and the upbringing and the importance of education was that as good as I thought I was or might have wanted to be, um, you know, one play could end it. And so focusing on getting a, a, a great education while at this great university and into with this great business school that we had, um, I, I, was, I was dedicated to put just as much energy into that as I was in trying to make it happen on the football field. And thank God that I did, you know, getting a degree in finance and marketing and a, and a minor in uh, sports management. Um, you know, that blend really set me up to be able to translate those skills I learned on the football field, have the practical know-how for going through one of the best business schools in the country to land a job with um, South Carolina Department of Commerce as a project manager, which was really, really cool and really, really rare for someone that young to be in such a position of responsibility. And so, um, you know, working for then Joe Taylor, who was the, the secretary who actually offered me the job a couple of times, which I turned down and um, finally asked me to be an intern because I was trying to play football. I wasn't trying to work, putting on a tie, sitting behind a desk, like, yeah, miss me with that. Uh, but he offered me 14 bucks to be an intern and I was broke at that point. I was like, yeah, I take those four, 14 bucks, work half the day, work out the other half. And um, as he was about to transition out, he had a real frank conversation with me, told me that he believed I should hire on. And this was like around December. I wasn't on the team or anything like that. And I made the decision too, and became an official project manager at that point. And then from there, I was exposed to the highest level of government, highest level of education, highest level of business, and the goal to attract companies from all over the country, all over the world, literally, you know, traveling internationally to sell South Carolina and say, you should put your facility here in the state because we have a great workforce, we have a great quality of life. Um, you're going to be able to get your product wherever you need to because of physical locations, you know, all these great things about this state that a lot of people don't understand from a perception standpoint, but when you get into the reality of it, it was a pleasant surprise over and over and over and over again. And so being able to establish my own brand um, throughout the state, um, be able to learn and suck in just so much information from all these you know, amazing people, um, you know, being in the car sometimes four or five, six hours over the course of three or five days with CEO X, Y, and Z, you know, you learn so much from them and their past. Um, it was a unique experience and it, it, it put me on a fast track to understand business, community, government on a way deeper level coming straight out the gate. So it was, it was extremely important. And without that um, one intentionality in what I majored in and then two, um, you know, the belief in oneself to be able to adapt uh, and then three, the knowledge to understand not to be too quick to move to another place 
without sucking in all the information that you could and the opportunity that I had um, made me more rounded as an individual and as an, as a professional. So um, all that to say, my, my experience from transitioning, it has all played off each other and it's been this perpetual building without knowing all the time, but at least trusting in oneself and, and it's done worked out pretty well. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, what a cool opportunity. I mean, first off, I commend you for making the most of the school side of getting to play football. The fact that you did get um, that great degree from a great school obviously goes a long way. And I'm sure there's some athletes at that level that aren't realistic and that don't take the most out of that. So good work right. on that. I appreciate that. I mean, it certainly sounds like you made the most of that project manager opportunity and it was almost like going to another round of school, it seems like. You got to learn so much and be exposed to so much. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly what it was. Um, and some of the key lessons, you know, there was one, standing my ground. Um, there were some perception issues that you got to deal with, with being a 22-year-old male that was a student athlete, a football player, um, that some folks believe that this was gifted to you. And I understand that, but at the same time, being able to show your worth and why you're in the position and why the person that puts you there believe in you that way. Um, you know, I took a lot of responsibility upon myself to, to, to prove that fact. Um, and that, that, that helped out a lot. And that winner mentality from being in sports definitely kicked in there, but also what I always say, the eye in the sky don't lie. And so you couldn't lie about what was on film. You know, you had to be able to accept those failures as is and use those as teaching points to become better. And so I took that same approach to my 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 opportunity at Department of Commerce. So I knew I was gonna be right, but I was gonna ask a lot of quick questions. I was gonna try to at least reflect my personality into the team too, without you know taking away from it and I did like folks weren't even eating together. Like we wouldn't even go to the lunch and it just blew my mind. Like why we don't have relate, like why we're not talking to each other in here. And within a year's time, you know, folks would be going to lunch together. It was more conversation and, you know, asking about one's life and there was a better camaraderie um, among the team. And, and I think I led the way in that in some aspects. And so all of it, it was just, again, um, being willing to proactively listen, which was the number one thing um, actively listening and then be able to continue to direct um, projects in a direction that will ultimately say South Carolina is the best place for you. And me being a project manager, I am the first line of that reality to this company. And so all of that, it just helps you become a better professional. And as you learn, get more experience, that having that base mindset just made me more effective in, you know, recognizing the potential and, and of, the, of the opportunity and then to being able to maximize on it. And I was, the last thing I would say to, on this, because I think it's a great analogy for people to hear, sometimes you're going to find yourself in a position where your intangible salary supersedes the tangible salary that you, you have. And if you're looking at the law, the man, supply, the man, and finding that equilibrium of where you maximize the intangible salary and at the at, at expense of your tangible salary coming in, you know, where you find that equilibrium, you need to start looking at 
a new opportunity at that point. But long as that intangible salary is higher than that, that tangible salary, there's room for growth. You know, I'll say stay, stick to it, stick to that path and, and really maximize the intangible salary. And when those things start to intersect, you know, then that's when you start looking for your other opportunities um, to, to grow in other places. And so for me, you know, that six years mark hit and then I, I transitioned to another thing. Well, I appreciate that you brought that team building experience to that position, despite being, you know, quote, a rookie like you would be in, in sports, right. you know, still brought those leadership skills and that team building. And it sounded like you added that level of camaraderie that the team needed to be even more successful. Right, right, right. And that's just self-belief in believing yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's all it is. And I really like that concept of intangible salary. Um, not everyone gets it. You know, they're not, not everyone's the type that would look at two financial tangible salaries and pick the lower one because the intangibles are more. Um, but I think it's a really important perspective to have. And certainly when it comes to making societal impact. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, we're, we're talking about societal impact that that's, that's every day, right? Like that's every day. And what 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 love what what I love about my country, what I love about my state, and you know, you was a supporter of me, and I and I appreciate that. And you know, I'm, what I made clear was I love my state and I love my country. And we try to measure that in so many different ways of someone patriotism, and try to take their voice and their love away from country because it's not exactly how you see it. And that's not what this country was built on. And so being able to speak to that um, from a platform of running for Congress and trying to reflect that in the way that we ran was very important to me. But the overall message was what, let's get to work. And the work is on the individual level every single day. And so I just want people to understand the power that they have um, to make one single decision to help society move in a direction. But it can't just be talk, it has to be action. And so that has led me in all of my life. And so transitioning that, whether that was the monthly meeting that we had where there was a group of nine guys when we were 20, 23 years old that brought community leaders together and a young professional to have the conversation, whether that was Lead SC, Lead SC where we had a youth conference with the Chamber of Commerce, whether that was serving on the Board of Visitors, serving on the Young Alumni Board, serving on, serving on the Association of Letterman Board, always seeking to take whatever skill set I had to give back to the community for the things that I cared about and was passionate about, and most importantly, grateful for their impact that they had in my life. And so that, that mindset of service has to be at the center of everything and that's for everyone and, and i think we miss that too often in society and if we shift that make that little bit of shift man i think we're we're, we're, we're a much better place because because of it and, and we're really living up to what this country calls us to be yeah absolutely i think that's a really good perspective and one that i wish more people would absorb and to go back to work experience and you did those six years the department of commerce eventually you ran for Congress, what happened in between? And then we can dig into uh, how your election went. Yeah, so uh, what happened in between, I, uh, after I was at Commerce for six years again, I had an opportunity with working with 
a client um, that was a, a company that was a client of mine, well, a company that was a project of mine, and the consultant that was helping them on it um, had just started a new crisis management firm of his own, uh, separated from his partner, very respected in his own right in that, in that field, and essentially offered me the opportunity to come up to DC uh, and, and do some crisis management with him. Um, hell of experience, I learned a ton, you know, within a very short period of time. But, you know, in that transition, there were some differences. And, I, and I'll just put it at that, because he was successful in his own right, and he had an approach to his company that he wanted to take that wasn't necessarily in line with the way I wanted to operate as a professional. Nothing nefarious or anything inappropriate. Good stand-up man. It was just two different approaches. And, you know, I recognized that and I made a decision for myself. Um, you know, no love lost. And, and in fact, we we communicate still regularly today. Um, and I made a direct, I made that change, didn't know where I was going to go. Um, so then had, I was unemployed for about two months and got Distinguished Alumni Award from the Dollar Moore School of Business um, in, that, in that same window and made Dean Bruce aware of just kind of my work, work uh, situation and DHG, Dixon Hughes Goodman, in that process, uh, Trey Ackerman, who was a, a alumni of the university, was at the Distinguished Alumni Award, heard my background, um, and there was an opportunity within that consultant firm that fit my that 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 aligned with my skill sets, um, and we had a great conversation, and it worked really well. Um, and about a month and a half later, I was down in Charlotte working for Dixon Hughes Goodman, uh, heading up their negotiating incentives and uh, economic development practice, um, responsible for the whole firm and getting this. Uh, offering out and getting more people awareness to the value it created. And some oftentimes the tip of the spear that allow us to cross sell for the other services that DJ, DHG uh, offered. So great, great experience, um, you know, great, great uh, accounting firm. You know, when I made the decision to run for Congress, you know, them being apolitical from their position of financial and fiduciary responsibility, you know, we was able to work it out to 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 allow me to go and run for office and sure make sure that they adhere to the responsibility they had as well. And extremely grateful for them being able to do that. Um, and the experience I learned from a corporate level, from DNI to being able to handle big business, you know, was invaluable um, and made me prepared. I think better prepared for the challenge that was going to come from running a campaign. Uh, and so that experience I took from DHG gave me uh, and the support that I got from them allowed me to run for office and then you know, ran for office in 2020, which was, uh, <laughs> we can have a whole two hour uh, podcast on that, but uh, love to answer any specific questions. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure we could talk about it for a while and uh, we'll, we'll just go into it a little bit here, but, you mentioned a little bit in some of your comments earlier about bridging this divide and kind of bringing people together. Um, and I, I think that relates to why you ran, but what drove you to run for Congress? You know, I was just looking at our society. Um, and again, the departure for, from those principles that I was raised, raised on, 
you know, in Belton, South Carolina, 4,500 sleepy people. They, it's home of the Standpipe Festival, and we got gas tanks at the end, and Brown Avenue is where the rich people stay, you know. Like, that that was home, but everybody still spoke to everyone, you know, everyone was at the game. We all cheered for the Belton Bears, and, you know, how about them Bears was the mentality. And if you were Janie Brown, grandson, well, I know Janie Brown wouldn't allow you to do that, so I'm not going to allow you to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that those simple, the simple things that is truly American that has drove us to the greatness that we were um, and that we are. I just saw a departure from it to a level to where I feel called um, to ensure that my voice and the people who believe like me was being heard. And that's the beauty of this country. You can do that. Um, when you feel impassioned enough to do it. And, and, that, and that's what really led to me um, making that decision. And it was just clear day, clear as day to me. I was sitting at my desk and I was listening to, you know, um, the news and a particular incident. And I don't even want to go political because it doesn't matter at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, was said that said, well, Mo, what are you going to do about that? And it was run for Congress. So that's what I, if I was two years old, I would have ran for president. When I had a shot in hell, <laughs> but you know, I would have did it because the point was more important than the position. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it was more important than the position because when you serve and you really want to work to fix a problem, those same consistent themes that you've had in your life, you figured it out. You bring people together and you work towards it. Like that's what we do. Um, so and recognition and all of that, that what led, that's, that's what led me to ultimately decide to run for Congress and pull a team together and run a campaign that reflected those core values as well. So. And it was a great campaign. Um, you know, I think it's probably obvious to the listeners that it didn't go your way, but for someone running there for their first time to go to the level that you did and do as well as you did against an incumbent, um, I was thoroughly impressed and excited for you and your future by it. Yeah, man. It, it's, um, again, just belief in self. And my granny always said, no one encourage you, you encourage yourself. And that was her saying. And it was just her way of always having a self-belief in who you are, what you stand for, and carrying yourself that way. Um, and that's what we tried to do. Um, in our campaign and nothing more and nothing less. And if that was enough for the people of the 5th District, then so be it. If it wasn't, then okay, I'm going home and I'm asleep in that same ambition and that same drive, you know, to want to help society for, for a positive doesn't go anywhere. You just pivot, you pivot again. And um, we pivoted, we're pivoting right now. And I think the result of the of the campaign and success and, you know, the endorsements that we got, everyone from, you know, Senator Booker to Wilp, um, the Wilp Clyburn um, to, you know, go down the list, Bakari Sellers, uh, you know, someone like Manny Powers No Real that represented the, I, I would say the essence of South Carolina, homegrown girl that wanted to see what's best for, like, all of that experience and people coming out the woodwork saying, hey, this is the first time I felt like somebody who understands me, that represents me, 
is running for office. I'm voting for the first time, Mo. Like, all those little wins, man, makes it all worth it. I was in uh, halls the other day, and a lady who has a, a nonprofit that deals with young, at-risk students, they had to go look up a, a politician under the age of 40 and report back on them. And out of the 17, she said 13 of them came back to her saying me and saying wow. that, so you're telling me I can go and be an athlete, play football, go work hard, and then become the next o Obama, become the next Mo Brown. Like, you know, that stuff wasn't lost on me because I know where I, was, where I came from. And so to hear that actually to be what it is, you know, at the end, I said, there's no losses, there's only lessons learned. Um, and, and look at those lives you changed in the process. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's it's enough just, right there. Exactly. And so you just keep believing in that inner voice. And if you're of well intentions, not good intentions, because good can be a we could be subjective, be of well intentions. Like, you know, it's going to work out in the positive. Well, I really appreciated the transparency and honesty that you brought forward with your campaign. Like you said, there aren't really a lot of politicians that do that these days. And I think that's why it resonated with so many. It's like, he's a person like me that just believes in people and believes in the country and the values that it was brought up on and, getting rid of this division and bringing everybody together. And thank you for espousing those symbols and really love what you were doing there. And curious, you know, do you see yourself running for office again? You know, this, I get that question asked a lot and the answer is the same. You know, if I feel led, I'll do it. Um, you know, I, 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 I didn't do it the first time for recognition. I won't do it again. I won't do it another time for recognition. If I feel that, the gift that I have is best served in public office at that time. Um, I, I would definitely do it. Um, but at the end of the day, the goal is always the same. It's, it's for the progression of this country, you know, the state, you know, individuals, again, to see the light in themselves and to be a light into others. And, you know, as cheesy as, and as simple as it may sound, you know, I don't think life is much deeper than that. And we, go off the rails, trying to make it more of that, you know, seeking people validation um, and not focusing enough on your individual light. So uh, if you do that, it's going to guide you in the right way. And that may be running for office again. If not, then we'll, we'll keep plugging away and making an impact. I'm excited to see where your story goes next. And um, now you're working on your project process first. Uh, love for you to tell me a little more about what you're up to there. Yeah, so I mean, you know, going through the end of the process of losing the campaign, you, you have these different opportunities, you can go into the administration. And, you know, I had a lot of support from some individuals, and, and I won't say their names because I haven't asked them if I could, but they know who they are. Um, and being able to go into the administration with the opportunity to work what I wanted to do. But there was another opportunity to go back to my consultant firm. Um, then there was another opportunity that I was interested in and coming back to my university and, and helping in some some capacity. Wrote up even some different job uh, descriptions to 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 ascertain and such. Um, but for whatever it was, those 40 days and 40 nights, I was walking around my apartment, going to football at my couch, 
uh, from the other side of the room and hitting the wall more so than I should and uh, all that good stuff, just trying to kind of figure it out, man. Um, I landed upon starting my own consultant firm and, you know, really taking the vision of what I believe business should be and effectuating, being an example of, you know, how do you take strategy, connect dots and start at simple thing of value you know how do you define value and then how is that value communicated how is it perceived how is it received and then ultimately you know the stakeholders of that value how do they return get that return investment of, of such and so starting there and creating your strategies whether that's on the communication side whether that's brand and culture dni whether that's communications from a crisis management standpoint, how are we consistently mitigating risk and creating and keeping value throughout our organizations or objectives that we're trying to create. Um, and I've been on that mission since February, uh, working from there. I've, I've grown my firm to have a few partners who are SMEs in their own rights. They believe in the vision and what we're trying to accomplish here at PFC. And, you know, I, I don't tend to advertise it. If you know, you kind of know. Um, and we're going to help people who are serious about being helped. Uh, and if you if you want the perspectives that we can give, uh, we're, we're open for business. So we like to ask, what's keeping you up at night? And from there, we can, we can determine if we can help. And if we can't, then we can probably find somebody that can. So um, that's PLC in a nutshell. And I'm really proud of what we've been able to do so far. I like that question that you ask, what keeps you up at night? I think business and organizational leaders probably don't get asked that enough. And that's certainly where their biggest stresses tend to lie. And to have somebody that's willing to tackle those things head on, I'm sure is incredibly valuable for uh, these individuals and these companies. One thing I saw that you described is teaching teams how to win. Right. So... I'm sure some of that came from football, but talk about how you learned how to win and, and how you teach how to win. Yeah. So, I mean, winning this again, you, you got, you have to understand what the value is and, you know, winning is great, right? Winning is great, but just going to the name of my company, winning comes at the conclusion of a process. And so establishing processes that ensures winning right that ensures a better way to put it that ensures predictable outputs that's what's going to allow a person to win and then once you get used to the discipline of it all the waking up in the morning having to go and run having to take a quick shower having to change clothes go to class having to go to class be attentive and Absorb as much information as you can because you know when you really have your downtime, you really ain't trying to be studying. You'd rather be doing some other stuff if you don't get that much. And so being attentive to focus in those classes, absorb those, those that information that you're given. Pivoting, going back to workout, get the workout in, making sure that you're maximizing that, eating right, that you can go in and keep your energy level up, finishing that, going back to class, then coming back to film, and going to film going to practice, going to practice, finishing up it's at night, got to go to study hall, study hall, if you got a significant other, you want to spend some time with them or just chill out. 
repeat, 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 repeat. But the reward at the end of it, you put all this work, this work in for these 11, 11, 12, 13, 14 weekends out of the year that really only boils down into about 12 minutes of actual playing time. And that's as a total. And so your individual play is only about five minutes, six minutes, depending on how you're playing. All that commitment just to win. And so understanding that winning requires discipline, determination, and dedication, the three Ds that I learned in high school on a consistent basis, that's the hardest part. That's what, that's what people don't realize. They, they want the end result without going through the process. And so putting the process first and getting people to be able to communicate that in the terms that make sense for what they're trying to achieve, that's what we do here in this company. And that's how we teach winning. That's how we look at deals and say, all right, if I'm on the other side of this, what do I need to hear in order for me to buy into what I'm being told? And that's congruent, congruent, congruent um, objective. So all that, all that, man, is PFC. And that's how you really teach people to win. And that's how you continue to win um, on a consistent basis. That's measurable, that's correctable. Um, and again, that leads to the direct value proposition that you're trying to create. Well, I love the messages that you're pushing there and um, pushing people to kind of work together to get things done properly. And can it be tough with certain clients? Are there clients that aren't dedicated to making the necessary change? And, you know, what do you do in those instances? I've, I've had people hear that message and say, that's amazing, though. That's exactly what we need. Understood. They, they've given me what keeps them up at night, <laughs> given my team what keeps them up at night. And we put a proposal together that reflects, here's the process. And more often than not, the follow-up has been not there versus there from the other end. And it's just like, wow, where is that disconnect at? And a lot of it comes, again, people don't like the lights shine on them. And so by shining that light on what's missing the gaps is a lot of people take that as a personal attack um, of their performance, what is, what is not. And so breaking through, you know, that mental block from acceptance, breaking through this young professional coming in here, telling me as a seasoned professional that I'm wrong in business that I've been doing longer than he's been alive, you know, that that's a that's a mental block that you got to get past. And so it has not been easy <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it's just been literally the toughest thing I've done in my life. I'm talking financially, you know, losing, taking a third of your salary home from the previous year to taking a third of your salary home from the year previous to that. But at the end of the day, if you're focused on the objective and understand that the universe works in a way that it's going to test if you believe in yourself, if you believe in what you're putting out, once it sees that you're committed, it's going to open this, open itself to you. It's just a commitment going through it. So all of that leads back down to just the process, man. It's, it's the process first. And once you understand that, you know, you're going to have a better chance of winning. And um, 
I, I understand that's where I'm at, even with the concept that I'm pushing to these clients, that they got to see it too. And when you get a few wins and they see the, the tangible results, the yes is going to come whole whole lot easier than, than it is right now. So um, it sucks at times, but it's, it's also worth it. It's also worth it. Well, it sounds like you're doing some great work. And as those wins start to pile up, um, not only will the yeses come, but I think you'll likely get to be selective in terms of who your clients are. And that'll allow you to make sure you're making the most impact you can. Exactly, man. Exactly. And that's, that's freedom. And we all searching for that. So yeah. it's pretty neat to be able to, to walk that road towards it. And it's a path. And if you stay on it, though, I promise you, if you stay committed to you, committed to yourself and committed to your vision, the universe, uh, it, it'll unlock itself to you. Absolutely. I certainly believe that. And one thing that came up on one of our recent calls was mental health and big corporations and the tendency to ignore it and some work that you're doing to push that more towards the forefront. Yeah. It's uh, from a, from a mental health standpoint, it's, it's literally in everything that we're doing right now and trying to figure out what it means and how do we deal with the soft tissue. You know, it's easy to see somebody when they get hurt from a standpoint of a physical in injury, but how do you measure that from a, a perspective of someone telling you how they feel? And then from a company standpoint, how do you measure that in a way that you are making sure you're meeting that need that doesn't cause um, additional effects that can go into the physical health of someone. So I think we're, we're trying to find the right balance between, you know, finding that space for someone to feel comfortable, but at the same time, being able to make sure that the objective of you know, working is still intact, right? Like that, that, you know, yeah, you can have your time, but at the same time, your time can be a detriment to what the workplace is. And so being able to communicate, the more conversations that we have around that, um, the, the better that we have systems in place that can pivot versus that is rigid, um, you know, the better that is. And so I've been working with the, with the app that is uh, focusing directly on that and, you know, looking at veterans and seeing how we can help them with their mental health challenges that they have currently. Um, and we're in the process of doing some really good stuff. I'm not going into too much details other than that, but for as, you know, the mental health challenges that we have in the community and in our society, the behavioral health, you know, it has to be a community approach. It has to be all of us looking at how do we speak to each other? How are we giving information out, you know, particularly on the media side? You know, do we take, are we just looking for content and pushing it out without the proper context? And in the context, we're pushing it out. What is the objective for that? Is it clicks or is it to really inform? Um, and, you know, uh, I go to travel. I read that in like sixth grade, I think. And the, the land of the Yahoo's at the end, we was talking to the horse, go was talking to the horse. And um, I don't remember verbatim, but one of the horse, Gulliver was asking, like, why didn't you tell the truth? Why, why, don't, why don't you lie, essentially? Like, why do you just say everything as is? And the Yahoo response was, that's the whole point of communication. <laughs> like, it is to inform, to direct, not, you know, to inform, to deceive. And that just, that just always resonated with me. And so 
in that, you know, taking that approach to everything that we do and, and how we're trying to push it out is, is of the utmost importance. And that goes back to how you ran your campaign and how we don't have enough people in politics that have those types of feelings or are willing to live by them. So certainly thank you for standing for that. Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I said run my, run my company, but that's how we deal with mental health and, you know, keeping that empathetic position, um, you know, understanding that everyone's truth is their truth, <laughs> you know? And so you gotta be careful how you project what you think on someone else because you don't want the same thing being done with you. Um, and, and I think keeping that healthy, healthy balance and that proper perspective will allow us to get a whole lot more things done than we currently are. And, and then to really cut through some of the tensions that we have in the country that's so divisive that just truly, truly unnecessary. <laughs> and yet, and Jeff, if I, if I could say this, it, it's not no prolonged thing that needs to happen. It's not a, it's not this, this magical solution that we keep trying to search for and hoping that somebody can lead us into. No, it's really an individual choice to say, I'm going to be good to people. <laughs> like right. I'm not going to judge folks all the time because they don't see it. My, like that is literally an individual choice. And we all make that. It changes literally on the dime. And so I hope folks understand it. And I, I push and I try to talk and say that as much as possible. Get over yourself <laughs> and, right. and, 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 and simplify things, man, and, and be empathetic. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's really powerful stuff. And hopefully more and more people will continue to, to lean that way. And yeah, it sounds like right now you're focused on growing process first and kind of seeing where the road takes you. Um, are there any specific goals or dreams in mind for the future? Or are you just sort of uh, taking things as they come? You know, um, I've lost a lot. You know, we didn't go into this, but I, I, I lost my, in the last two year, year and three and a half, year, three and a half uh, to two years, I've lost both of my aunts who helped raise me and my granny who helped raise me. Um, over the course of my life, I lost my father. I lost my brother that was two years younger than me. Um, lost my uncle. I lost a friend to suicide, two, two teammates to suicide. Um, and, and through all of that, you know, figuring out how to process that, um, one thing comes abundantly clear that you don't have any control over this thing called life. And it really doesn't give a F of what your plans are. Um, and so that understanding allows me to kind of move with intentionality that falls into those basic, basic core values. But again, always being able in that position to pivot as life comes to me. So um, right now, the, 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 the focus is growing PFC, um, you know, being a, a world-class, literally a world-class consultant firm um, in impacting the community and offering um, opportunities for people to grow their career you know, through the efforts that we make. That, that, that is the goal right now um, and doing that really, really well. And off of that, you know, staying dedicated to family, making sure that they're healthy and happy as much as possible, um, and into that same dedication to friends. And so you know, that's that's where I'm currently at and, and living in that peace and also uh, living living in that initiative. So those those are things of where I'm at right now. I'm sorry to hear of all the loss that you've experienced and 
I am highly confident that those individuals would be really proud though of the way that you've taken it and turned it into motivation and to making the most of the time that you do get. Yeah, man. I, I you know, I do it for them. I keep them. I, I keep I, I I rap. That's one of my hobbies. I do that. Like I got music that I got like 30 songs. I may put out an album at the end of the year just cause, you know. Awesome. It's uh don't don't hold me to it, but uh, I definitely got a lot of music. But at the same time in my music, I, I show so much appreciation and dedication um to them because you know I'm not who I am without them. And you can't you can't lose those folks. And at the end of the day, I, I learned this. They deserve every tear they want from me. Um, because someone people mean something to you, it's okay to miss their presence, miss their guidance, miss their essence um and be sorrow sorrowful sorrow have sorrow for for them not being there but at the same time the same folks if they were here would kick you in your ass <laughs> if you use them as excuse um not to be the best version of yourself and that's what always picks you back up and you keep running forward to, to put a smile on their face wherever they are for sure and it's good to hear that you're channeling some of that into creativity I won't put you on the spot and ask you to rap here, but I'm sure the listeners <laughs> would love to hear it at some point. For sure, for sure. Maybe I, uh, what, I, what I do is send, uh, send you a little, little something that we can add in the podcast. Sounds great. Um, well, to me, it's pretty clear that your work has positively affected quite a few people and that you're just a light in this world um, for so many. And I think it's awesome what you've been up to. And is there a story though of when you saw how your work could really affect change or any kind of epiphany moment? Yeah, actually, um, it, if I had to point to one single moment, it's, it's a couple moments, but I'll point to um, two and I'll do them quickly. The first one being, um, I was probably in seventh or eighth grade and I was complaining about a workout. It's funny, both of them was track workout though. <laughs> Um, and my, uh, coach, coach Ashley, he called me over and at that time I was still going by Marika's more so than Mo. And he's like, Marika's come over here, son. And he's like, let me tell you something. You know, you're over here complaining about workout, but too much is given, much is required. That's what he said to me. And in that moment, I was like, wow, it just, it really it hit me what he was saying. It was, it was a very subtle way but a very direct way of you too gifted to be complaining about your current situation. And because you have these gifts, you are required to step up and handle more than the person behind you. And, and, and that has set, set, set with me my entire life. If you go on my website, it stands on, it's on there at the bottom of it at the, at the end right now. So that was a, a moment to where I realized that I was set apart. And with that, you know, came responsibility. Um, the second time was uh, I ended up costing my team what I believe a state championship because I let my anger get the best of me. Um, I was a little hothead. You know, I didn't cause tr- I didn't cause problems, but when you push my buttons the right way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was bad. Like I just, I, it's almost like I blacked out, and what came out my mouth came out my mouth, and that caused me to get suspended for a track meet. Well, that so happened to be the next track meet was regionals in 
in regionals, if you don't compete in regionals, you can't compete no more. Your season is completely over. And so we made it to state. We was ranked, you know, one of the top teams in the country, in the state, one and two um, with Ridgeview. And we ended up losing that track meet by a point and a half. And my brother, he was on that team. He was a senior. Um, and I just broke down in the middle of the, the, the field and just cried, 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 cried like a little baby. Because I felt like my decision-making, my anger popping off to allow somebody to get the best of me, put me in a situation that hurt my team. And thus, we lost the opportunity to win a state track meet because I could have made up those points in head. And so that made me take responsibility of my actions from a different way and understand that when you do have these gifts, if it's getting taken away from the people who are depending on it, you know, that matters and that can hurt other people for a long, long, long time beyond that. And so, you know, those two more those two moments in my youth, I think really helped me focus to go on the path of where I'm current, where I was able to go to college and then college leading to all these other opportunities that I had. Well, from you know, the first story with your coach, I really appreciate your ability to take to heart what people say and think like your ability to truly listen is a gift. You know, I'm, I think a lot of us growing up, we were told a lot of things that go out, go in one ear and out the other. And um, I love how you were able to really take that to heart and carry it with you. Yeah. Yeah. Those and, planners. <laughs> and, and then on, on the second one, you know, with um, missing regionals and uh, it sounded like at the time, given your reaction that you were self-aware as to what got you there. And it's just another example of your sort of open-mindedness and self-awareness to be sharp enough to see and to take responsibility for it. And, also know that you know you were a kid and I think you know that it was part of growing up yeah yeah for sure I take those moments I won't change them again they, those, those lessons not lost it's, it's a lesson learned and you only lose when you continue to, to try not pass that test and um you know, when I talk to folks I often say the universe doesn't let you pass to the next level until you complete that level and just like on that game you can die a thousand times, <laughs> yeah. but until you find the right, you know, equation to get past that level, that game gives you the same test over and over and over and over again. And that's how the universe works. And, you know, having that understanding and looking for when I see repetitive things that pop up in my face, say, okay, what am I missing? I'm missing something here. And having yeah. that mentality, man, that self-awareness, that self-correction, um, it really allows for uh, significant growth and exponential growth, honestly. So yeah, it, it is it is a gift, and it's, it's definitely one of my one of my skills. Are there any experiences from childhood that showed you the importance of giving back? You know, whether it was someone giving to you or you giving to someone. My my whole life was a matter of giving back. You know, giving themselves, giving their time, giving their effort. Um, you know, giving their finances just so that I can get to the position that I am, you know, without, again, as I said earlier, the burden of understanding your gifts so that you give it away, um, you know, I, I would not be here. So the gratitude that I take into everything that I do is, is at the appreciation of the givers in my life and seeing the real world examples of my mother who, 
you know, did make $30,000 raising three boys in her household, but would go out her way to open her home for someone else or, you know, give someone else a ride when we didn't have room or keep somebody else when, you know, we didn't have much, but at the end of the day, um, we help each other out, we pick each other up. Is is the mentality that I was always raised around. It went to my grandma, it went to my whole family, again, my whole community. That's what we represented. So um giving back is is not something that you know I look to do, it's something that I am because that's how I was raised. So yeah. it's everything to me. It's everything to me. Yeah, it's it's part of who you are, and I certainly appreciate that. You talked about your amazing supportive family and some great coaches you have along the way. Um, is there anyone in particular that you'd single out as a mentor? Oh man, I got so many mentors, you know, I, I that's really, great. I have, I have a ton of mentors and, you know, some of them more formal than others, but uh, you know, life is always going to be about people that you can learn from. I say it all the time. We can learn from an aunt if you look at it long enough um, and keep, and keeping that, keeping that mind open, but so much wisdom around you and keeping a, a healthy perspective of yourself and your ego and being willing to listen all the time and, and finding those folks that align with where your direction is going and they have done it and have that experience that can guide you into those, to those uh, paths. Um, and, and the key is, you know, those folks out there to tell you what to do. They're, they're there to give you heads up you know, on certain situations as you make your decision through through your path. And that's what I've always appreciated about the mentors that I've had in my life. And, and I got and I got some amazing ones. I'm talking about, you know, former governors to former appointees to former CEOs or current CEOs, um, you know, executives on both sides. Like I got a lot of amazing people in my network. Um, and I see all, all of them that I have a decent relationship with as mentor to a certain degree. And so, um, you know, you got to have that backbone, that core that you can always go to, you know, got your back. But as far as being being a mentor and being a mentee, you know, you should always seek those opportunities. And that's going to be forever in life. Yeah, I think it's been a common theme throughout our discussion is listening. Um, that's something that seems to have been really important for you. It's important for everyone, but something that you've really seized is just being open and listening to people and learning what you can from them. Um, and I loved what you said, you can learn from an ant if you look at it long enough. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a great representation. You can really learn from any and all situations if you are coming from the right perspective. It, it, exactly. And I'm glad, you know, it's been great listening to you summarize my long-winded answers. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and and you're right, though. It, it really just boils down to listening. And we heard that saying growing up all the time, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and it's a lot of it's a lot of wisdom in that, you know, being able to shut up, being able to take what is given and then being able to imply, apply rather. Um, and then also being able to throw out because everything that's fed to you is not necessarily for you. And, and, you know, being able to take that coaching through the noise, right? You know, what, what, what is the coach trying to tell me beyond him yelling and belittling me to a certain degree? Um, and when you learn how to decipher all that, all what you, the substance from all the fluff, 
you know, it's it's amazing what you can you can do and what you can grow from and how you can grow um, again more uh, expeditiously by doing that. And it's, it's it's definitely a gift. So listen, people, listen, 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 um, and then go to work. <laughs> so that's all. Love that. So I do have a couple more, but is there anything that we haven't covered that you think we're missing out on? No, I mean, I think this has been a, a, a pretty natural flow. Honestly, I feel like this is the first legitimate interview I've had like after the election. <laughs> like, I'm honored. Yeah, like seriously, like going through this, it's, it's been kind of therapeutic for me. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, one thing that... I'm adding at the suggestion of some listeners is letting each guest ask a question of me. Uh, is there anything that you want to ask me? Oh man, you know, that is a great question. It's so many different things. Cause you know, you have a very unique perspective of life. I mean, you know, given your background, um, given the challenges that you've seen as well as the perception of what the opportunities that you may have, right? And so, you know, I, I I'm curious to, you know, what 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 is what is that burning sensation for you that keeps pushing you towards, you know, the goals that you have? Really, I mean, it's that in essence, it's family. Um, you know, my dad is probably the person that was most influential in my life. Um, he passed away in 2008, and his mantra was tikkun olam, uh, repair the world in Hebrew. And i that's a driver for me and everything I do and every decision that I make. And certainly there's things that I want for myself and my family, but I think you can get those things while also providing positive impact to the world. And so that that's what drives me really is to do honor to my father and to my grandparents that survived the Holocaust um and know that they did that for something and to lead myself and my family my wife my son to do positive things in their name and uh just to try to make the world a better place man to repair the world how you say that in hebrew hebrew again excuse me tikkun olam tikkun olam that's that's amazing man and you know listening to that it honored them you know name um that's so important and and you know what was key and consistent through you know, what i was talking about myself is again the respect and admiration that you have towards your lineage and respect the responsibility that comes along with it and it's very used to say it all the time you know you 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 play for the name on the back of your chest on, on the back first and then the name across the chest across your chest second um, both of them equally important, but the name is what you have. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that us being from our spectrum of life are connecting in the way that we are now, given you know, the belief that we can repair this world, that we don't have to be hateful, deceitful. Um, this pie is big enough for all of us if we wanted it to be. And so yeah. it's dope, man. It's great to hear Thank you. Yeah, it was a great question. Thank you for asking. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention my mother who continues to set an incredible example every day with her work to, to make the world a better place. And um, certainly fortunate to have had her in my life, my whole life, and hopefully for many more years to come. 
yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you know, I know your mother. She is an amazing example, um, an amazing example for all. Um, just an ex extraordinary woman. Um, and the work that she's done here um, in the state, around the country, life she's impacted, um, you know, it's amazing, man. And it's amazing to see her get up and continue to do it. So uh, I, it leaves me encouraged. You know, I know the people and the good hearted people from all walks of life, no matter where you fall on the, the equilibrium, like it's good people all over. And it's more of us than it is not. <laughs> I truly yeah. believe it. And, so. and that, that goes back to the name of the podcast. People are the answer. I mean, it's those good people that are the answer to the problems that we're trying to fix in the world. So there's a question I'm asking every guest, and you may have actually answered it as we were going through, but, and I'll tell you what I think that answer was first, but if you could snap your fingers and fix one thing in the world, what would it be? And how do you think that change would reverberate? And and to me, the answer that really came out of our conversation was changing how people think and and being empathetic. But and obviously, if you could get people, everyone, to have empathy, it would go a really long way. And I don't mean to steal the wind from your answer, but that's <laughs> where my head was at. Yeah, no, no, I, I appreciate that because I think I think it goes hand in hand with with my natural answer. That's like I said, it's tattooed on it's tattooed on my chest. It's uh, no poverty, no war. So if, if I could snap my finger, you know, the thought of somebody going hungry is, you know, that's tough, man. You know, that's tough, right? That's really tough, given the ability to produce food in this country, in this world. Um, there's a lot of folks out here that just doesn't have a simple put food in their mouth. And I think that's the basic level of survival. And, and when, when we conquer the basic level of survival which is not having to worry about one's survival because there's adequate food literally at the base minimum of it food and water our world instantly becomes better um, yeah. hope becomes better you know opportunity becomes greater so if i could snap my finger you know change one thing i, I would try to change to make sure that, that people have food in their mouth i mean that's something that could lock, unlock potential of so many across the world um, you know, in my first episode, Alex Hodera gave a somewhat similar answer, you know, basically that if you have the opportunity to just be provided your basic needs, that opens up your brain to be able to focus on other things. Um, and that it's a key to unlocking potential. And it's something that I hope we can come together and, and make a non-issue. Yeah, yeah. And we can. We can. All the wealth in this world uh, that we have um, and all the ability that we have in this world. We can do it. And, and it's one thing that I always kind of find funny. I saw this meme and it made so much sense to me. It had this huge number, like let's say a hundred trillion dollars worth of debt, you know, global debt of a hundred trillion dollars. And quick aside, just so people understand how much a trillion dollars is. Um, one million second is 11 days. A billion seconds is 33 years. A trillion seconds it's 33,000 plus years, 32,000 plus years. That's that's the magnitude of difference we're talking about when we're talking about trillions, right? So we have over a hundred some trillion, say the number is a hundred trillion dollars of debt in the world. And it was at the top of it. And then it said, it's owed to who? <laughs> and it blew my mind. It's like, right, we got all this debt in this world, but who is it really owed to? 
it's, it's, it's owed to, I guess, other humans. And so at the end of the day, you know, how much of these situations are we creating? And, and then what are the opportunities for us to level set a, a, a base where, where we currently are with, with the respect of where we were, but with the understanding that it's not as important where we got to go. And, and I think if we can fix that equation, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're going to be all right. It'd be really powerful. And, and I also thought that your explanation to, to give sort of some sort of relatable mindset to a trillion of using time that was fascinating. Um, that's yeah. so useful. So thank I, you. I can't take credit for that. My uh, When I used to have a podcast, we had the Insanity Podcast. My co-host was uh, Michael Kasky, who is a state representative now. Um, he used that in one of our podcast examples. So that that's his that's his credit. That goes to him. But I, as you received it, I received it too. I was like, bro, that's perfect. Like that. Yeah. You get that. Like, holy crap. Like, that's a big difference. You know, like yep. today, years, like. I'm sure after listening to this talk that there will be a lot of people uh, endeared to you that didn't know about you before. Um, how can people keep up with you and are there ways to support your impact? Um, Mo Brown SC is my hashtags or um, my um, handle, I guess it's the right word, showing my age. is <laughs> <laughs> my handle um, on Instagram and then on the Twitterverse. Uh, so you can follow me there. I usually putting up something uh, for as being able to support me. Um, you know, if you're a company who's looking for a strategy that falls in line with what was detailed today, um, feel free to reach out to me um, through my website, processfirstc.com. Process first, all spelled out. The letter C.com, um, and you can get to me there via email and get, get directly to me. So, um, looking to impact people, help as much as possible. Uh, and for as you know, helping me and my, and my ability to make impact, as I stated through the whole night, you know, start with yourself, you know, be the best version of yourself, hold yourself accountable, hold yourself to a set of standards that, you know, the old saying, you know, do unto others as you have them do unto yourself. Like that's real. And if we if we do that, we're all gonna make the impact that's gonna increase the ability for us to enjoy this this place called Earth that is beautiful. It has a lot for us to explore. And let's focus on that versus the negativity. Yeah. I love it. I always appreciate the positive outlook and thanks for all the time and for sharing with us and um excited to share this awesome conversation and I look forward to our next talk. Absolutely, man. I look forward to it. And we're going to reverse roles. You're going to make me get back in the other seat. And I'm interviewing you on your podcast. And uh, we're going to have some fun with it. So it'll be good to be able to go through an interview again with you, man. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. <laughs> and here's that rap sample that Mo promised. I'm gonna take a trip down, down this country road where built different crew residing home but a boat. All my dearly departed, you live on in my soul. This is what I know. We about to explode. Hey, set, go, go. Ready, set, go. We about to explode. Ready, set, go, go. Ready, set, go. We about to explode. That was pretty impressive and a lot of fun. Excited to see where he takes the rap element of his career. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of People Are the Answer. To find out more, go to peoplearetheanswer.com. Thank you.